You're listening to episode 420 of the UAV Digest. I'm Max Flight. And I'm David Vanderhoof. Hey, Max. Um, wow, we're, we're, we're in a roll. This is like four weeks in a row. I know. We haven't skipped a week in quite a few weeks. So that's good. We like that. We're almost to the point where we can say we haven't skipped a week in a month. <laughs> but we got a lot of topics to talk about. Layoffs at Prime Air. Valkyrie drones, not for the Air Force, but for the Marines. Regulating air mobility in Utah. Mapping a radioactive environment with drones and a collision-tolerant drone. A cargo drone that can carry 100 pounds for 600 miles. And a multi-rotor propeller that reduces noise. You didn't think that was possible, did you? But I'm glad to hear that it is. Yeah, so I, let's get started. So let's talk about our favorite topic. Amazon drone delivery unit hit with layoffs just as 10-year-old project becomes promising. Max, can you believe that, you know what the biggest headline of this story was for me? What's that? We've been doing this for 10 years. That's right. It was uh, just about 10 years ago that Jeff Bezos from Amazon, of course, unveiled the company's drone project, and he did that on that 60 Minutes program. But yeah, 10 years ago. <laughs> Holy moly. So it's been a decade since Bezos unveiled the company project, and Prime Air has now finally started delivery drone operations in two smaller markets. But here comes the bad news. Amazon plans to lay off 18,000 positions for jobs. And Prime Air is not immune from those layoffs. Now, Amazon is not saying how many of those uh, layoffs affect the uh, Prime Air program. I guess we understand that at least some of the Prime Air folks are, are said to be going. And some of the sources say that that's going to include employees in the design, maintenance, systems engineering, flight testing, and flight operations units. Those are the units that uh, likely see some layoffs. And primary air has not been, how do we say, issue-free. Um, we know that there have been a high turnover there on the project over the years, and there were definitely equality issues um, that have come up in a couple of lawsuits. So, I mean, it's not surprising that there's going to be layoffs. It is a tech-wide issue right now, um, from Google to um, Amazon to all of the big tech companies are going to start laying off sizable chunks of their people because the growth isn't there any longer. But, you know... Given the fact that their Amazon is going to be laying off um, systems engineering, flight testing, and flight operations people, that's really boding badly for the project. Well, another way to look at it possibly is that after ten years of uh, working uh, this, that maybe they've got it developed to the point where they don't need its largest staff to do the development and the, the corresponding flight testing and all that. Now, I mean, those positions will never go away completely because you've always got 
engineering advancements, uh, changes to the to the hardware, the software. I mean, all of that sort of thing. So you, you'll never eliminate the need for those positions. But I don't know. Maybe maybe it's not as bad as it sounds for Amazon uh, Prime Air because maybe they don't need that many folks. Uh, you know, at this point in the life cycle of their uh, drone delivery project. But another thing is that. In absolute numbers, these tech industry layoffs are, are very large. But as a percentage of the total employees, yeah, they're not—they're not—they're not, they're not as dramatic as you might think. So I got curious and I asked Siri. I said, "I said, how many employees does Amazon have?" And Siri came back and said that in 2021, Amazon had one million six hundred eight thousand employees. So 18,000 out of a million six is not that big a percentage, uh, but it is still 18,000 jobs that are, are going away. Streamlining and cost cutting. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, maybe a leaner project will get more productivity or, you know, move forward quicker. There is a lot going on at Amazon, but I, I just can't believe that we have been talking about Amazon Prime delivery for 10 years. I, I mean, when I read that article, I was like, it just seems like yesterday that we were starting this podcast and these guys were saying, oh, yeah, in a year or so, we'll have drone delivery. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, it's only taken 10 times that, but no worries. So what do you think? Another 10 years before it's widespread? I hope not. <laughs> yeah, hope not, but, you know, um, time marches forward. I mean, look at it this way, Max. It gives us stuff to talk about, all these It stuff. does. I, I, I figure we're good for another five years. Yeah, that'll work. Yeah. yeah. So the Valkyrie, um, Kratos Valkyrie, the Marine Corps is going to buy some to investigate future autonomous platforms. So... The, the XQ-58 Valkyrie um, has been, been flown by the Air Force as, as one of their loyal wingman programs. And it looks like the Marine Corps are now interested in the Valkyrie drones. And the Marines have a $15 million contract for two of these. It doesn't necessarily mean that a single Valkyrie costs Seven and a half million. There's probably other support equipment and who knows what all else. Spares. Spares, things like that. But it is 15 million for two of these aircraft. Now, you're probably somewhat familiar with these, but again, they're, they're large, right? These weigh about 6,000 pounds a piece. They have a 27-foot wingspan, roughly. So uh, these are not small, uh, small aircraft. But th there are a number of possible missions for the Marine Corps with the, with these uh, Valkyries. And uh, that includes things like uh, strike, uh, intelligence gathering, electronic warfare. There's some speculations out there, maybe as a, quote, mothership for small drones. Uh, and there's some other, other possible applications as well. Oh, and um, just... just to give give some background, you know, you said six thousand pounds with a twenty seven foot wingspan. A Cessna one seventy two is only one thousand six hundred and sixty nine pounds. <laughs> so we are talking about a big airplane. So, it, but you know, small diameter bombs 
is is one of those cool things. It, that's the that is the bomb that was originally designed for the V twenty two. Um, I mean, excuse me. That is the bomb designed for the F twenty two, because the bomb bays were so small because of the stealthy internal. The small diameter bombs were so that the bomb bay could be carrying multiple bombs um, instead of large explosives. So. I can see the Marine Corps wanting to take advantage of of being having a loyal wingman for ground support, you know, having the F-35Bs guide in the Valkyries and the Valkyries um, used for ground support. Interestingly enough, one of the articles I read in Defense News today was talking about the fact that the Marine Corps is having a very large divestiture of modern aircraft. Um, uh, MV-22s, um, the new CH-56Ks, um, and uh, CH-53Ks, and as well as the F-35Bs. They bought these aircraft, but and the new aircraft, they're not even sure what they're going to do with because they've already started divesting them. Um, so it, clearly the air capability of the Marine Corps is going to be diminished, and I can understand why they're going to a tritable aircraft. A Valkyrie, of course, would be a tritable because it would be uh, non-crewed. We haven't had the opportunity to say a tritable in quite a few episodes. So. But, you know, uh, on this small diameter bomb thing, uh, yeah. you, you, know, you know what I thought of when I saw that small diameter bomb? I had in my in my head, uh, an image of those, like those black iron round spheres with a fuse on top that are always in cartoons. That's not what this is, right? No, it, it does look like an aerodynamic shape. It's just, it's very, very small. So the, um, so it does look like your normal precision guided weapon, but it's just, it's only like 500 pounds of explosives, but you don't need a lot of explosive anymore because you're providing precision targeting, you know, GPS targeting as we've moved for, for further along in technology, it takes less explosives to do more damage. Ah, Cause they're more that accurate. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. They're more accurate, yeah. you know? Um, so gone to the days of carpet bombing um, like Berlin, but so you can use a 500-pound bomb to take out a tank or a small building, you know, and that where, you know, in the Gulf War, the first one, we were using 2,000-pound bombs, but they were not as precise, you know, using laser-guidedness as our current um, global positioning system or GPS bombs. So it's definitely a technology that would work well with the UAS. Um, I'm sure the Air Force will be working with the Marine Corps to bounce their lessons off of each other, but the Marine Corps does have a very specialized role in primarily ground support. Their job is to support their troops as they're landing. So um, whereas the Air Force, of course, is looking at it as a more of a multifunction aircraft. So We'll have to keep say, seeing what's going on. And, of course, as a node for electronics, 
Project Hydra in 2021 was... Um, used the Valkyrie as a communication node between F-35s and F-22s. I know that the Marine Corps would want some sort of that kind of precision analog between um, F-35s and other support aircraft or even ground support, using them as a, as a battlefield no, node. So lots of different uses for what we've started to call a loyal wingman, you know, not just not, and an additional weapon system or in simplest terms a very large weapons pylon that flies with you maybe we should start the bomb digester or something like that there you go what's advanced air mobility and why is the utah legislature looking to regulate it because legislatures don't have anything better to do <laughs> oh, did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. You did. Well, actually, the Utah legislature has been looking at drone regulations for quite a long time, so to their to their credit. Also, they seem to be focused on um, uh, studying what they need to do rather than just pulling the trigger and just issuing legislation that seems to feel good. Um, so they have been looking at this for a, quite a long time. And in fact, last year in 2022, they formed a study group to look at updating the regulatory laws. And so now a bill is circulating in the state legislature. They they describe it as a framework for regulation, which without knowing more details, sounds like a good idea, like a good approach, a stepwise approach. And why? Because they've got Zipline um, delivering prescriptions and over-the-counter medicines in the state, and Walmart and DroneUp have begun drone deliveries. So there is, in Utah, active UAS um, delivering systems. And so, yeah, I'm sure that that's why they're being more proactive about regulating the problem is, what can they regulate? Um, now, some of the topics they've discussed is tracking software for near-ground air traffic, noise concerns, and state supremacy over local jurisdictions. The last one, Max, is kind of ironic, considering what are they regulating? The airspace. We've talked about that most recently with uh, respect to Wisconsin. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. On the surface of it, it, it looks like Utah... Legislators are, like I said before, taking a you know sort of careful, logical approach, at least to, to this point. But we'll see what emerges in terms of uh, regulation from the from the state. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see what they are actually regulating. Mm. Otherwise, Max, you'll be writing another email. Yes, right. All right. Inside the Department of Energy project using drones to map radioactive waste storage vaults. This is from DroneLife.com. Drones have always been going to be vehicles to go where men or women or animals or whatever don't want to go. And a radioactive waste storage would be at the top of that list. Yeah, it sure, sure would. So this is a, a vault, pretty large size vault held uh, radioactive material, which was designed originally to be a permanent vault, but for whatever reason, they want to move it. And so, uh, of course, you need to know what's inside of it, and you don't want to send anybody in there. 
you can't. Uh, so what they've done is they've used a flyability Ilios 3 drone, and they've used that successfully to complete a 3D LiDAR mapping of the uh, interior of the storage vault that holds this radioactive waste. It was an operation that was conducted last November at the Idaho Nuclear Technology and Engineering Center at the Idaho National Laboratory site. It's been quite a significant project. So a team of 50 people were involved. This is a very sophisticated um, mapping using the LIDAR. The top of the vault was covered with a plastic tent, and therefore it was a indoor mission. And a crane was used to lift the vault's lid and hatch, and very large concrete, usually nuclear waste sites are designed to last millennia. So if we're up and moving this, it's going to be um, really thick and heavy. Um, So they flew the drone in there and they came up with a map of the interior that has been studied for two years. Yeah, the process of doing this um, took those two years. At the end of it all, the drone... Uh, did the mapping in one flight lasting only seven minutes. So uh, two years to plan for a seven-minute flight, but they got what they needed. Now, Flyability is a company, I believe we've mentioned them before, but they specialize in confined space inspections. And the drone itself is is kind of an interesting... What would you call this uh, uh, surrounding the drone, uh, David? Uh, exoskeleton was the first word I could think of, but that's not, that doesn't seem accurate. Well, no, I, I would call it an exoskeleton. Um, I would also say it's kind of, if you know what a Hoberman sphere is, it's it's a framework of triangles, the kind of thing you would see over a radar, you know, that kind of pentagram, you know, hexagons and triangles, kind of like a soccer ball making a flat surface sphere around the drone, which, of course, is to help it bounce off walls. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, it definitely seven minutes was not a lot of time down down in that um, vault, whereas if it was a manned survey, you can imagine that would have been hours. It was really kind of amazing that it was that short of a process. Yeah, good application. And we'll put a an image of this drone in the show notes so you can visualize what this flyability drone looks like. And when you see it, you'll, you'll immediately recognize that it uh, looks like a design um, that is uh, made to bounce around or, or strike um, objects in the area and not damage the drone and not damage the, the area that it's flying in. So look for that in the show notes. 100 pounds for 600 miles. Well, that's what Mighty Fly's new autonomous cargo drone can carry. Um, And this was from New Atlas. Autonomous Vertol drone is a hybrid with electric propulsion and a hydrocarbon congestion, yeah, congestion, a hydrocarbon combustion engine charges the battery in flight. Um, This is pretty, I thought this was kind of a cool looking drone. It is. Uh, And again, it's large, not as large as the Valkyrie. Uh, but uh, it's pretty good size. It weighs 355 pounds when fully loaded, and and uh, as you mentioned, David, it can carry up to a 100 pound payload. 
and it's got eight props for vertical uh, propulsion that are mounted on these, they call them propulsion pods, one on each side, sort of, with uh, four props on each. Um, It looks a little bit like landing skids that you might see on a helicopter or something like that. But that provides the uh, the lift for the vertical takeoff and landing. But for horizontal flight, David, it's using a pusher prop. Which is kind of cool. The, and the reason why the pusher prop is because the nose bows up so you can load the cargo in and out of the nose. Um, and it's got a, the pusher prop gives it a maximum speed of 150 miles an hour. That moves at a good clip with a, I mean, we've got a vehicle that's moving with a good speed and has vertical takeoff and landing. And I like the fact that the skids do sort of, the propulsion pods act as its landing gear for this vehicle. And there's a really good video um, we'll have in the show notes showing it um, flying around because the it is flying under an FAA special airworthiness certificate. That's right, and they're working towards a Part 135 certification uh, for this. So uh, making a lot of progress. Uh, this seems like a, a useful cargo drone, 100 pounds for up to 600 miles, and pretty speedy, as you said, David, uh, top speed of 150. So uh, this could be a fairly useful uh, aircraft. And you know what, Max? It looks like you would what you would expect a cargo drone to look like in sort of my opinion you know it's kind of dirigible-ish looking but you know it's sort of yeah you can see you can imagine these things going back and forth carrying cargo in i'm sure that the military is keeping an eye on it because this is the kind of thing they're going to want down the line all right let's talk about propellers and noise and noise Toroidal propellers may quietly pave the way to UAM package deliveries and more. I like these props. They do look like egg beaters, though. So uh, this is something that MIT has been developing. In fact, the Structural and Thermal Fluids Engineering Group at MIT Lincoln Laboratory, they've been experimenting with these toroidal propellers. Now, it's, they're kind of difficult to describe. In one respect, they're sort of like figure eight sort of propellers. But in looking at the picture, and we'll have this in the show notes as well, then you really need to see this. Otherwise, you'll never figure out what the, what this thing looks like. It almost looks like if you've got, um, if you've got four, imagine you have four propellers on each motor. And each motor, on each motor, two of the propellers are sort of twisted around so that the tips touch. And the other two propellers are twisted around so their tips touch at 180 degrees from the first pair. That's what it kind of looks like to me. Okay. Otherwise, let me let me take my stab at this. <laughs> um, okay. If you ever see MC Escher, mm. and there's an MC Escher print where you have a torrid, which is um, a group of ants going around what is the infinity sign where they go, well, take that infinity sign and turn it flat. That infinity sign is the propeller. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. Yeah. And that's what a torrid is. So it's that perfect, it's that shape where it never ends. I mean, the inside becomes the outside and the outside becomes the inside. 
So that's my take on on, on this. Besides, it's they're really attractive propellers. Yeah, they are. I like your description better than mine. But the important part, well, there there are a couple of important parts. One is they produce less noise than conventional propellers, um, which is something that we've commented on a lot, particularly when it comes to uh, delivery drones. And none of us are, <laughs> I think, enthusiastic about... Uh, listening to the the sound of uh, quadcopters all day long delivering packages to your neighbors, so uh, they're uh, they're quieter. Uh, they're also stronger because uh, than conventional propellers because of the shape. Um, so there's uh, there's more there's more strength there. The next one is really important for drone delivery. Lessens the likelihood that the spinning propeller will cut catch or clip objects surfaces in the drone's path the blades sort of reinforce each other so that you're not going to have a blade shearing off and which is another way another issue with drone delivery protecting the people the package is being delivered to it achieves thrust comparable to a multi-road drone propeller that's so there's no loss of of thrust there and allows reliable fabrication with additive manufacturing techniques that make it possible to customize the propeller for various multi-rotor models and types. So in other words, you can 3D print it. Yeah, and put it on uh, different, uh, you know, different quadcopters or different multi-rotors. So I think this is... Um this is great. I mean, it's it sounds like it it addresses kind of my number one problem with uh, drone delivery in volume, which is the noise aspect to it. So uh, that plus the other benefits, uh, this just seems like a winner. I like it. I like it a lot. And it's one of those things, Max. It's it's another one of those old sayings. If it looks good, it flies good. Yeah. These look really cool. These these definitely look science fiction ish. No, like out of the mind of some science fiction novel from the the 70s. You know, it definitely looks future. And um, so definitely take some time and go out to the show notes and check this out because it's different. It is. So, David, you've found a video of the week. It might be one of the shortest video of the videos of the week that we've had, but... It's simple, and I thought it was fascinating. Yeah, who knew that? Um, you know, you hear these things over time, and you think, okay. and But when you see it happen, it sort of sh- shakes you up. And this happens where a drone shows a moose shedding its antlers in the forest. So the question is, um, if a moose sheds its antlers in the forest, does it make a sound? <laughs> we, won't, we weren't able to hear it over the drone, but... It's very sudden, and it was, I guess I knew that moose shed their antlers, but this is not what I was expecting to happen. No, I wasn't either. I I really had no idea what the process was. You see a a moose or an elk or, I mean, other animal like that uh, with a big rack on its head, and you know that they come off each year, but, you know, I've never seen that happen. Maybe she live in Maine or something. Maybe Micah is is uh, very familiar with this, but I had not. So just to watch it happening, and as you said, David, it happens in just a few seconds. It doesn't take long. They're on, and then the next thing you know, that 
you know, the beast is shaking almost in a way like a dog shakes itself when it's wet to, uh, you know, shake the water out. And uh, the, the antlers pop right out. And, and, and away he goes. It's yeah, sort yeah. of like, okay, I'm done. Yeah. It's probably footage that most people have never seen. And, you know, and I guess it was kind of dumb luck for, for the drone operator, but well done on their on their job. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you for listening to the UAV Digest. This has been episode 420. You can find show notes at the UAVdigest.com for this and every episode. We've got a few, uh, one or two videos this week, and as well as some uh, images of some of the drones that we talked about, uh, particularly the MIT drone. I think you want to take a look at that. And of course, you can find us on social media. Um, Max and I, are, of course, are on LinkedIn. Um, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, our Slack listener team. Uh, Max, are you going to talk about your other new love or, or new passion, which is another listener team? So, yeah. So we've been, um, well, let me put it this way. Uh, over the years, we've had some comments from uh, people uh, suggesting that we should look at Discord uh, instead of Slack, uh, Slack has uh, some. We're on the well. We're on the free uh, Slack subscription, if you will, um, which uh, doesn't retain history. Stuff that's old rolls off. Uh, so we're playing around with Discord, and uh, there's I don't know. There's um, eight or ten folks in our Discord group right now. And if you'd like to join that, poke around, particularly if you're uh, familiar with Discord and already know how to use it, you might want to uh, take a look at it or otherwise. But send us uh, an email and we'll send you an invitation to the, to the Discord group. Because you know you really want to be on another social media yeah. platform. <laughs> but yeah, I, and it's an experiment. So yeah. um, I'm going to let my co-host play in that universe but so other than that um i guess what we're i'm going to say is um this is david in delaware and max in connecticut thank you so much for listening